This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello, welcome on today's episode of Partially Excited. We got Sharon Bannister. This woman has seen it all from accidents to recovery to be able to teach and I met her there a few months ago on the Outstanding Network and I got to hear her story and I thought, wow, this woman has seen it all and she's come from an accident and brought herself back up. She's a thriving clinic and hello, welcome to the show, Sharon. How are you doing today? I'm doing really well. Thank you very much. That's a lovely intro. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Yes, I've got up to, I'm allowed that because of my age. I'm allowed to get up to a lot of mischief over over the years, but hopefully it's going to be inspiring, you know. But uh, the big one, as you mentioned, is when I had my riding accident when I was 28 years old. So be, from being a very, very active person, very athletic, very fit, um, enjoying life in Portugal, I suddenly found myself in a hospital by myself uh, with a beautiful view from a window, but all I could see was blue sky and a bird line with birds on it for months. So um, that, that was a bit of a shock. And, and it's, it's, it's funny because you, you have disbelief in the first few days because you, you're just in shock because when you're being so active. So it took me about a week to realize that, no, you cannot walk. And then you get all the negative prognosis from the doctors. And it's so easy to buy into that. It's so easy because you don't really want to make them wrong with their diagnosis. So they say, oh, no, you're, you won't be walking. Um, if you're lucky, you'll be in a wheelchair for, after two years. Like, la, 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 la. But in the back of my mind, I thought, there's got to be something I can do. There's got to be something I can do. And I was very fortunate because I manifested um, the wife of one of the doctors, consultants. She was um, Indian. And she started to teach me yogic breathing, so Kabbalah Bhati and things like that. And so th- that was one thing I could do to help stimulate my nervous system. And so I would do anything I could think of that would I felt was a positive help 
you know, for my body. The one good thing about being in Portugal was the food was excellent in the hospital. So that was a plus because it had to be all pureed and I had to drink through, actually it was a catheter, um, a catheter tube, you know, they cut them up so you could drink through the straw because you had to be at a certain angle. So I couldn't sit up at all. I was in too much pain. So yes, it was a humbling experience. And, um, you know, from having a woman walking past my door, because uh, I used to leave it open just to be able to hear human voices crying her eyes out and I'm going, why are you crying? She says, I have no knickers, I have no knickers. I said, help yourself, I can't use them. They had all these new brand new, you know, like help yourself. Or you get a terrified tourist and they couldn't speak Portuguese. So I just say to them, okay, you'll have to wheel me on the bed or get the tourist to wheeled into me on a maca. A maca is a, like a trolley because it was too dangerous to move me, my spine, because otherwise I'd be totally, you know, be worth more damage. And I'd be translating for the surgeons to help the, the terrified tourists know that they're in good hands, you know. And um, and I think that's when I, I, I managed to get the turnaround. But I must admit, I did fall into deep depression. That was the hardest thing. When you your friends stop visiting you, they get bored, you know, they get on with their lives and you realize you're in there for the long haul you know by the second month you're you're thinking okay this is this is a bit tough now you know so what actually happened Sharon? um i had a massive riding accident you know i was i was very um i was told i was very skilled and i was in private lessons in an indoor arena and somebody jumped up in a red jumper and frightened the horse and the horse didn't want to throw me it was thoroughbred it was a really beautiful horse so i said get the horse out because he'll go mad but get it out and um yeah, that's how I ended up on my on my back. But eventually, um, yeah, the body can do some amazing stuff. Now I understand, now I've studied more about the body, I understand what my body was doing. But at the time, it was quite scary because if I touched you, I'd give you an electric shock. But I didn't realize that that was my body. It's almost like your body was charging itself up to heal. Like it knew it had a problem. So I suppose it'd be the same if, if you were at war or you were in Vietnam or something. Your All your senses are heightened. So my healing capacity for my body was really, really heightened. So it did have very funny effects, like, um, you know, the ink from a biro would shoot out or the, the alarms would go off or things like that. But that's the power of your, what we call biosphere, it's your electronic um, bubble that's around your body, which can be measured, you know. Now they're much more sensible, they can measure it. And so it was a really quite um, interesting experience. Uh, although, um, you know, I find that somebody slipped a crucifix under my pillow, think I was possessed by the devil, you know, things like that. But, you know, nowadays you understand what it is, but in those days they didn't know, they had no clue, you know, and uh, yeah, it's quite an interesting experience. But um, it was one, it was really weird. I, I think it must have been about three and a half months in, and I suddenly had this urge to stand up. And I don't know why, because I couldn't even sit up, let alone stand up. And um, I remember it was just a beautiful morning and I just thought, I just know I can, I, I have to try. And um, I've been doing lots of breathing exercises, visualization. And I thought, okay, I'm going to pretend I'm on the yacht. And so I know that I'm going to be sick as a dog because your equilibrium goes in the ear. So I'm going to look at the horizon. So I managed to sort of swing myself up and sit on the bed. And I thought, oh, this is interesting. And, and I had to retake it slowly because if you can imagine being laying like that, you're, you're going to feel really, really strange when you sit up. And it was taking the weight of my body as well. See if I could do that. 
And then I very, very slowly slipped my legs onto the floor. And I remember I was like Bambi, you know, my legs were all like, because I've got no muscle, you know, and I could only do things like holding on. I terrified the nurses because they didn't expect it, you know, because I'm, I'm meant to be a couple of years in a wheelchair. And um, I never forget the very first time I was able to walk to the bathroom and have a bath. That was the most amazing experience after three and a half months and a joyous experience. From then on, they just got me a frame. I had to have a frame to hold up because I couldn't take the weight of my torso. And that was very painful. But at least I knew then I could make, start to think about making my way back to the UK. But from there, it, it was an incredible journey because from there I actually thought I must learn about what I've done to myself. So that's when I went and studied Shiatsu with the, some masters from Japan. I also found a theatre group. I started doing things like that. And I also found a samba school. So believe it or not, from being paralysed, eventually in 1987, I launched my Brazilian samba troupe. And we won first, second and third prizes in the European encounter of samba. So that means all the countries came into London, the South Bank. That was quite an experience being on prime television in a bikini and not much else than plumes. I went out to Brazil and I worked with some of the top samba schools and I loved it and I got fitter and fitter, you know. I started training Aikido, but then after about 10 months, uh, an osteopath said, no, you can't do that. You're, if you have one bad fall, you're, you're, you'll be paralyzed, point. So I thought, okay, let's think about this. So I thought, okay. So I stopped doing Aikido went back to the gym and worked out which muscles I needed to strengthen to support my back. And I worked and trained for about a year, I'd say, about a year. And then I went back to Aikido. I trained right up until black belt. I was actually going for my black belt exam, but unfortunately somebody threw me very badly and I crashed into somebody because they didn't look where they were throwing me. And it cracked my ribs and they could see that I was in excruciating pain. And when you go for black belt, it's very intense because it's Japanese style. I'm affiliated with a Japanese dojo. So it's full on, you know, two, two attackers all the time. So they asked me to step off the mat and a paramedic checked me and went, no, 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 you're not gonna do that. And then unfortunately after that, that's when I realized I also needed a hip operation. So, but I, I actually trained right up to black belt level and I loved it. So what I, the, the thing I can say is that you can get labeled, yes. You have to be sensible, yes. But that doesn't mean to say that's what's gonna happen to you. That's your choice, you know. Even if you've been told there's nothing you can do, there's always something you can do. And the body, because it's looking for health 24 seven, it will latch onto anything, but anything you do that's positive, whether it's your diet, breathing, as I had to do, that's the only thing I could do in the beginning, breathing, and that hurt, but I still did it. Visualization I could do. I mean, now there's much more available to people. They, there's audios, there's subliminals that are very, very powerful, and they can really stimulate the body's healing capacity and accelerate it much, much more quicker. So from going forward, after I studied Shiatsu, and I was very successful with Shiatsu, uh, one of my clients wanted to offer me a gift, and thought they put me into a shiatsu in um, Switzerland and it turned out this shiatsu practitioner just studied craniosacral therapy so there's me thinking I'm going to have a really good you know get in there with the elbows and feet and everything and she was doing this very light touch but it was having an effect on my body 
and and when she got to my head and I said oh well I do this at the end of my shiatsu sessions because I was also shown things from an osteopath and she said oh why don't you contact this person um, I think you this might interest you and that's how I ended up going to an introductory weekend about craniosacral therapy and then eventually studying it and becoming an actual tutor of craniosacral therapy at the CTT which the Craniosacral Educational Trust, and that's in London, UK. So now I'm a, a tutor, practitioner, and I'm also a coordinator at the teaching clinic. So I look after tutors and students when they practice on the public. Being three months in the hospital and then being able to walk for the first time, that must have been amazing because I would assume that you're sitting in bed and you're thinking, I'm going to be paralyzed for the rest of my life, you know? Oh, I couldn't, I couldn't sit. I was laying. I couldn't sit up. Yeah. It, 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 but it is so important. Uh, I think the worst thing you can get is depression. You know, that's the worst thing. And also, um, unfortunately, in hospitals, it's very hard to have privacy. So you'll have anybody coming into your room or if you're lucky to have a room, if you're a long-term patient, you know, I'd get like Jehovah's Witness come in and say, today is the Lord's day. And I look at this woman and I go, every day is the Lord's day. Would you like to knock next time? Would you like to leave now? You know, I, I, I had no holes barred, so I thought that was so rude. But then you get wonderful people coming in that were genuine, you know. I think the most important thing I found while I've been in hospital is your morale. If you can be in a ward where you support each other, even if it's just getting water for each other, when whoever could walk got the water, you know, or whatever, and just treating each other like human beings and, and laughing. If you could get each other to laugh, that's the best healing, you know. To give you an example, when I went for my full hip operation, I ended up in a ward with three other ladies. I came to on the trolley to them singing, staying alive, going, ah, 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 staying alive, staying alive. And if you can imagine, I've just had a full hip operation and I'm trying not to laugh because it would hurt like hell. That's how I ended up in the ward. We used to make such a lot of, well, quite a, we had a good time, let's put it that way. And we teased the young medics and everything mercilessly but then you'd get other orderlies or medics coming in trying to hide in our area because they knew that we wouldn't we'd give them a break and cheer them up and what we found was we were healing much quicker because we were always making each other laugh you know and i didn't have anybody i don't have fa i didn't have family to help me so somebody's partner would come and get me water or just little basic things you know or get me a newspaper or whatever so um yes you you can do a lot and i and i'd say to anybody that's visiting somebody in hospital if you see another patient that's by themselves ask them if they need some water just some basics just to acknowledge their presence you know what i mean sometimes you don't want to talk but sometimes it's nice to be included even if it's saying Oh, hello, Sharon. How are you doing? I'm just coming to see my sister. You know, just acknowledge their presence makes a huge difference, especially if they haven't got family that's close by. And especially now with COVID, because you've only got one person that's allowed to visit you, if they're allowed to visit. I learned a lot. I, it was quite an interesting experience seeing how people are treated in England as well as in Portugal, you know, so very interesting. And probably to, to come out of hospital and then go into something like karate and dancing and pr probably realize that there's more to life out there, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I pushed myself to the limits. I understand that. And sometimes I did it too much and I ended up with the osteopath and having somebody screaming at me, do not do this, you're going to be paralyzed again. So I had to be sensible and that's when I stopped and I went and thought, okay, what can I do then, you know? 
And I didn't say that when I, while I was a uh, shiatsu practitioner, I went out with paramedics to Nicaragua. There was a war on. That was interesting. But it was an amazing thing to do because somebody came from the north of the country down to this Managua, which is the capital, just to have a shiatsu session with me because they they heard there was a shiatsu practitioner. And although the doctors originally, when they saw me, were very condescending and la la la, they all ended up having a session with me because they all got constipation or something, you know, something happened to them that they needed help. And I was able to resolve it. So they had great respect for me by by the end of the, the tour. It was very interesting and humbling experience. I met some amazing people and you literally want to give them everything you have with, you know, your clothes, everything. It is very surreal being shot at. It is very, very surreal. You know, we got we were caught in an ambush, uh, but we got out okay. But the worst thing I think was being caught in a, a riot. There was a, they were starving, and there'd been a, a riot incited by the American ambassador, and evidently the, the people had been paid, and um, they were with machetes and big sticks, and I could, and we had one soldier on the bus with us in civvies on the minibus and I said to this soldier I knew he had a gun and I said I'm not frightened of dying but I do not want to be macheted if they come at us with machetes please shoot me and I really really mean that please shoot me I do not want to but he managed to he he was an amazing man he he went outside and talked to the people and said what we were doing that we were fighting and trying to help them and get the message out and they led us through but I tell you I have never drunk so much rum that night in all my life and we got through that you know um, yeah that that was pretty pretty incredible but I could understand why they were they were, they were starving you know so yeah it's sort of you know blockade does fascinating how the human needs requires so important that you it sounds like you've experienced different ends of this you know yeah great compassion great understanding and they all knew, you know, the, these people didn't in that group, but they, they all knew who was helping and who wasn't. And we all worked together as a team. I love life. I mean, you know, okay, I, I witnessed something really quite horrible, a couple of horrible things, but I also witnessed amazing things. I, I, I walked in and opened the door and there was a ballet studio and there's a, a beautiful ballet dancer doing, and the, and the Bolshoi Ballet had come over to Nicaragua to help and support the cultural events. You know, they didn't block the bourgeoisie, they, as in Cuba, they were still all there doing their thing. I went to a, a hospital for combatants, for soldiers, a military hospital. I was able to deliver much needed medical aid, you know, because we'd all collected about 75 packages. We delivered all this medical aid. And the nurse that was with me, she wouldn't go into surgery because we had to have proof that they'd received it. And so I had to scrub up, that was really surreal, and go in and take pictures from a distance because you know everything had to be sterile. But um, but they're so grateful and very invent- innovative. You know, they they had a better inoculation program with a war than we did in London at the same that same time. There was a big article written by my colleague in the Lancet um, saying that because we were in a governmental building when they were talking about inoculations, and three weeks down the line we're up a mountain and in a village and the donkey arrives with the ice boxes and the inoculations and they were in the remotest place in up in the mountain do you know what i mean they got out to everybody so they had a much much better system you know to protect the protect the population a fascinating place beautiful and they have freshwater sharks evidently there that was a bit spooky after i dived off a boat into a lake to have a swim they said oh by the way there are sharks here <laughs> total paranoia and ever since the pink dolphins, there's these pink dolphins as well. So 
yeah. Uh, it's, it's an amazing country, you know. I'd love to go back. I'd love to go back. Why were you there? I used to help out as a volunteer at the Nicaragua Health Foundation. You had to go there to be acclimatized to what was really going on because I was sick of seeing what was going on in the news and I wanted to see for myself. So I went out with a fact-finding group, you know, like the Red Cross, some doctors, and then we fundraised and got medical equipment they needed for the hospitals. And I fundraised with the Shiatsu Society of Great Britain and in Japan. And we got books and equipment to, so they could help set up three natural health centers. So what they do there though, is if people are coming in to see the doctor, say a herbalist, they'd ask them to bring in the plants they need to make the tinctures, or they give them health education while they're sitting in the waiting room, coming to see the, the medic or the midwife, you know? So from all the equipment we took out there, yeah, they set up three health centers. So that was amazing. Yeah, I was offered a job out there actually, but I just thought, well, I've, I've only just about got on my feet again, and I think I need a break. I don't want to save the world while I'm still recovering from a fractured spine. <laughs> so I declined very gracefully, but they were amazing, very humble, lovely, lovely people, very warm, very friendly, and doing a lot for refugees from Guatemala, because obviously the Junta were, were knocking off all the, um, the, the um, indigenous tribes. So they had a lot of refugees who were beautiful, you know, from Guatemala. So. Yeah, it's an interesting, it makes you very grateful for where you live. You know, you haven't got to worry about clean water or sanitation. You, that's your right, you take it for granted. Whereas other groups of people didn't even have the right to good education, sanitation and clean water. Had you found out the facts and the questions you had when you went out and you came back home? Yeah, and I, what I did, I, I know it sounds weird, but I was very shy. So what I did, I collected a lot of information that was needed. And I, handed, I went to the Houses of Parliament and I handed them over to an official that dealt with Latin American health and everything. I made myself do presentations and I do presentations in English or Spanish about the health and what was going on there. And the real picture, not the one you saw on TV, but what was really happening, you know, so I can't speak as well. My, my Spanish isn't as good as it was, let's put it that way. <laughs> I, I keep on mixing it in with Portuguese now because I speak too much Portuguese. That's the Brazilian influence. <laughs> Portuguese, wow. It's a tough enough language to speak, you know. I thought it was rational. Like, you know, when I first heard it, from, especially from Portugal, it's all sort of very guttural and nasal. And I thought, what on earth is this language? And it's very strange. But if you hear it spoken in a, with a Brazilian twang, it's much more softer and relaxed, shall we say. And uh, it's much more like a sing-song of Italian, you know, or, or Welsh, if you like. You know, the, yeah. it's completely different and much more creative. I think different languages have different dialects and have different cre creativity, but I would assume as a someone studying the, the body and figuring out how to make yourself stronger, you understood the language of the anatomy as well. Yeah. They say, you know, if you if you go to work on the body, it's like going to a country. Unless you learn the language, you're not going to get very far. You you'll you'll do all right, but if you if you study anatomy, at least then you know you know you can have a full conversation with the body. It's quite funny because when people watch us working, it looks like we're falling asleep over people. But I'm having a massive conversation with the body, and you know, talking to each bone in the cranium or wherever I'm on. You know, do you need a little bit more space here? And um, what I love to do when I I have a session with a 
client is um, I like to empower them so they understand what's going on in their body. Because very often when things start to move, people think, oh God, what's wrong? And it's actually the body working properly. That we hold our stomachs in so much. If we hear a lovely gurgle, you think there's something wrong. No, your body's meant to do that, you know? So what I try to do is I explain what I'm, you know, why I'm touching somebody there or putting my hand there. And then I explain what's probably happening underneath. And so when they feel something, they know it's something positive. So then it, it's, for me, it's all about empowerment. So I want them to feel that they've got that control of their bodily functions in a way, you know, because we all have it. We all have this innate intuition and sensitivity, but we block it out with alcohol, audios, you know, having the radio, TV on all the time, distracted with whatever's going on. So we, we don't have, we're not using those skills that we would have had for the like hunter-gatherers, you know, like tracking or whatever or even communication telepathically, you know, you just don't use it. So it's just wonderful to see clients relaxed and more engaged with their healing process. And in that way, then they're much more empowered and they've got, a, they're better informed. So they can make better choices in their life, which are more balanced. And, uh, you know, you really need that now, you know, with the situation that's going on now, you need to understand okay I, I think i'm okay but i'm not sure about how healthy i am so you, you you know you want to look after yourself it's it's more of a preventative thing than just picking up the pieces every time you know that's what you, you just pick up the pieces hide the cracks and we keep going on until something crashes and then oh my god where am i well not just that i think you know the sad thing is in western most western establishments medical establishments they all say they've done a good job but then you know they've put the new liver in or the new heart and then the medication they've been put on will knock out the kidneys and the person dies but they sort of oh no but I did I did a good operation you know they're not they're not taking in the whole person you can have an amazing responses to the body if you can get rid of the shock I've done quite a few sessions in hospitals different in different scenarios an extreme situation would be I gave a session in a hospital in Portugal in Lisbon uh, it was a top hairdresser from a salon in Lisbon and the owner of the salon had begged me to go to the hospital and I said please inform the doctors what I'm doing and you have to be witness you have to sit there while I do the session on the person so I ended up in a hospital in, in Lisbon the guy I was giving the session to didn't know me he didn't speak English and he three weeks earlier he'd had a, a, a massive stroke and he couldn't use the right hand side of his body so he could use the left, so he'd drink, you know, water, but somebody had to open the, the lid and everything. I had doctors and some nurses coming in. It was very noisy, bright lights. And I started at the feet. By the time I got to his sacrum, which is the, the triangular big bone at the base of his spine, and to his back, he suddenly let out a yawn and lifted both arms up parallel. Now remember, this is somebody that had no use of that arm. Um, before that happened, there was like, it was like an electrical storm. Or the only way I can describe it, it was like when I put my hands on because the shock was still in the body from having the stroke. So once you let the body, I acknowledge that and let the body dissipate that energy, what do you think? Ah, oh, great. Now I can get on with the healing and wiring, rewiring that's going on. So by the end of the session, I mean, and actually the, the woman that was with me just looked at me like that and I just went, this, the body's still got a lot to do. But by the end of the session, he could actually hold the bottle with the, the arm that was bad and then open it then with his good arm. But then he had weeks and weeks, a couple of months of, because he'd lost speech as well, so he had, to have, he had to learn to speak again. 
but he was cutting hair. He got back to cutting hair. The body's incredible. Given a chance, the body is absolutely incredible with what it can do. But the most important thing is to create a safe space so that you can actually get the shock out of the system. That That's fascinating how the body can just speak to us in these yeah, magical absolutely. ways, you know? But everybody can have this, but you just, it's like a muscle. You've got to, you've got to use it to be able to be, you know, get those sensory palpation skills. So what I say is like, where I put my hands on the body, they're like um, listening posts. So you, everything has a vibration, everything has a movement, everything has a rhythm, whether it's energetic, fluid, you know, tissue. And, it, and if something's out of sync, you'll really know, you know. So that's why you train for two years, minimum, and the rest, you know. So it, I love it. I just love people. It feels great to see people healing themselves. It's not me, it's their body. I don't do anything to them. I just create the space for the body to acknowledge what it needs to do. And the body knows exactly what it wants to do in exactly the right order and when. And I have to bear witness to that. You know, that's all I can do. I can make suggestions. Yeah, usually you can get a really good response. Very rarely you won't get a good response. And then in that case, I just say, I really don't think this is, you know, the right therapy for you at the moment. Uh, but you might like to try and, you know, I can say in my experience, you might like to try A, B or C, you know. But those are far and few between. Usually people fall asleep and snore. And what's lovely for ladies, when they get off the table, they really look like they've had the most beautiful facial because all the stress leaves the face. It does that on a man as well, but, no, you know, no spawn lady. The voice will drop a tone lower because they're not, it's not all tight. All the larynx is relaxed, you know, because everything, everything gets, you know, it, it's almost like you've, you're conducting the best orchestra, you know, the body is the orchestra and you've got it playing the same tune. So everything's in, in sync. So the person feels much more centered, much more grounded, much more focused and much more coordinated. Yeah. And for someone that's gone through all that experience, you have, huge understanding but yes you probably can hear the body speak when you put touch your hands because you're so sensitive because of what happened in the past you know yeah yeah i think you do definitely i found that it sort of opened up different sensory perceptions that might be a, a little bit more duller if i hadn't had those life experiences they often say that you have a near-death experience or a real crisis you know things will ignite themselves again or switch on it's almost like your body's reptilian brain just going, oh my God, oh my God, let's you know, let's do something here. You know, so, but then, like I say, you could either let the, the whole situation overwhelm you, or you could say, okay, I'm in this situation, what can I do? And then I, I try to make it a journey of discovery. So it became more like an adventure. And that's the only way I could do it because I had such a long journey to go on of healing and processing that that's the only way I could do it because if I treated it like um, a journey, so it wasn't so much of getting to the destination, but it was like creating amazing experiences along the way. And you might find a group of people that you learned a lot from or a mentor or a coach or a, a spiritual guide, whatever it was. I'd, I'd use those as little stepping stones to really reflect on what I was creating in my environment. So as I learned to take responsibility on what I was creating in my environment, it took a lot of pressure off me because I'm responsible for what happens, nobody else, you know. I'm not gonna 
So I said, oh, woe is me, I was adopted. Oh, woe is me, I had that childhood. Oh, woe is me, you know, I got paralyzed and I was in hospital for three and a half months. You know, in a way, I chose those things, you know. I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, it, I, what I do is try to help people not to have to go through those extreme experiences, but it, I don't feel it was bad for me. That's what I obviously needed, you know, to go, go, go forward. I wonder, was the accident kind of for you to get to where you truly needed to go to, to do your true purpose in life? Absolutely. 100% believe that. Ironically, about a month before my accident, there was a, I saw a course for Shiatsu. I, I was actually saving to go to Japan, but then I saw this course in England. I thought, how on earth am I going to get back to England to do this course in Shiatsu? Ta-da! I end up having an accident and being in hospital and getting shipped back to England. So, yeah, you know, you have to be careful what you ask for. <laughs> <laughs> and I knew I was going to have an accident. I knew something was going to happen because three times I went to go to the training because I usually groomed the horses and I missed the bus three times. Like, what is going on today? This is mad. And then eventually I got there and I was late, but um, I was grooming the horses and I couldn't understand why the horses were attacking this guy. This guy wearing this red jumper. I thought, what is wrong with these horses? Behave yourself. They knew he had malintent, but I didn't real. I didn't pay any attention. All the signs were there, but I wasn't paying attention. You know. So yeah, there you go. And there you go. The signs were there, but when we don't pay attention, it just happens instead of oh yeah, there that can happen, and I'll do something about it. Instead yeah. No, oh, no. I'll do what I need to do. I, I think that's the one big thing I've learned and I, I sometimes I slip on this but what I try to do the moment something comes into my mind whether it's somebody's name or whatever I write it down and I act on it you know if I'm with a client obviously I have to wait until I finish with the client and then I'll act on it because I find more and more every time you that something pops into your mind that is the right moment that you're meant to be connecting with that person or doing that thing you know for your flow if you like mm. so I try to keep I'd say I'm a practicing Buddhist because I, I like chanting because it keeps me in rhythm with the universe. It helps me to stay stay in sync and in rhythm. And I try my best with whatever I'm doing in my little routine to keep in the flow and be open because I find if I get stressed and tense, you're not only shutting off the bad stuff, you're shutting off all the good stuff that's around you as well. The more I can keep open, and I think that there's a lovely saying they have in Kabbalistic circles, which is to stay connected to light, you must always be giving. So if you're giving, you're directly actually connected to the highest entity, if you like, you know, the light, and you're, you will naturally receive. You don't even have to ask for help because if you've got the intention of giving without receiving, you're automatically gonna have a resp positive response. Even in my critical moments in my life, and I might not have had money, but I'll give my time or I'll give my help or, do you know what I mean? So there's always something you can do, especially if you're feeling depressed or just not feeling yourself. There's always something that needs help. There's always something you can even just smiling at the bus conductor and saying thank you. That might be the only positive comment they've had all day because at the moment people are so stressed and they're not being so thoughtful. So they have bad days as well, you know, and that can make a huge difference and have a wonderful ricochet effect. A smile is free, it doesn't cost anything, but it can do so much, it's priceless. The cheapest gesture that we have is a smile and it creates this energy that bounces off everything, you know? Totally, totally. I would assume that you've been practicing 
your abilities for for a long time after that accident and it probably taught you and continues to teach you of who you are and what you are in some way oh yes and when i you know when i get a bit too cocky and i think i know it all i'll have a situation that puts me right back in my place you know so yeah I, i think we all have that you know all i can say is i'm a beginner i've done this for many years but i still say i'm a beginner i learn from every client i i see and i think every day i learn something so you know i'm learning something every day and that's what keeps me young and alive i don't think i know it all far from it i think the more the more i studied and the more i learned and the more senior i got in my position that i i get more and more i know nothing really i know nothing because i've seen incredible transformations in people's bodies and systems that nobody could explain you know so the body has the facility to heal itself instantly in some cases <laughs> you just go what happened there you know <laughs> and so but hey it worked you know so you know and babies are another thing they're very malleable so they they have an even a most astonishing healing process so yeah it's a very humbling a beautiful experience I think it's beautiful because you get to see the magical transformation that the body goes through from trauma to success to vice versa and yes it's this 3D suit we walk around in to experience this playground that we call earth absolutely <laughs> and also sometimes you know I do I well I do see a quite a few people that have um cancer and um, unfortunately sometimes they are stage four and you know they're not going to live perhaps very long but what I can do is give them a much better quality of life. They're much more fully functioning. They're not having so many side effects from whatever medication or treatments they're having to have. And it's, it's a very humbling experience. You know, if you're with somebody that's passing, they've chosen you to witness that. You know, in one case, I could put my hand on the person that was passing and then on the, the relative's back and just say, keep speaking they they're listening because i could feel the responses energetically from the body because the hearing is the last to go and and so you can say your goodbyes properly you know and it's very comforting for the relative and then eventually you feel you actually feel the energy leaving the body you know and in other in another case when somebody was in an induced coma they didn't stop the machine that day but it was that everyone was saying their final goodbyes and his partner came to the bed and i and he was speaking to his partner telepathically and i said whatever you've just said to him he's responded dramatically but in a positive way that gave great comfort because this person couldn't they didn't want him to come round you know because his body was completely fit it was just his lungs that were shot to pieces he had a he picked up a viral infection he was a working at the airport and he picked up a viral infection and he was absolutely healthy except for his lungs you know so yes it's just a transition when we come into this world as as babies it's a transition the baby knows only its own world of warmth and fluid you know and then suddenly it comes out into this big world of bright lights or you know if you're unlucky or a lovely birthing suite if you are lucky but even so it's a shock because it's air it's not lovely soft warmth and liquid so they they think they're dying when they come out you know it's a new new environment they're in and they've got to suddenly use different parts of their body they never had to bother to use before you know so for me when i think of say death or passing as either it's a transition it's just a transition into a different state you know so how do you manage when you meet clients when they say you know someone like a bereavement or someone passing away how do you emotionally 
transition from therapist to Sharon, the individual who does her day-to-day things? Well, with, with them particularly? To, to watch someone, you know, to help the transition, oh. someone passing away or a client being able what to... What do I do? Me personally? Yeah. I come home, I'll do Buddhist prayers, send them on the way with some love. And I will go off to walk in Hampstead Heath and I, I let all my senses connect to nature. Hug a tree, find a quiet spot, but listen, literally the earth is moving and breathing. Do you know what I mean? I, I, go, I go back to nature and remind myself with gratitude of the fact that I am alive, I have survived, I can walk, I can breathe, I have friends, I have found some of my biological family after 62 years, you know, and just have immense gratitude that I'm still here on this planet and I still haven't fulfilled my mission. Because if I had, I I would have passed, you know. I I think the the best is yet to come. How did that feel when you found your biological family? A shock, amazing, and also immense grief. Because I've been looking for my father my whole life. And unfortunately, because social workers in their wisdom in those days didn't think it was necessary to connect, my father was still alive when I was looking for him. They didn't bother to communicate with him by a third party. The same with my mother. So by the time I found full identity and, and connection with my biological family, because I'd done my DNA test, he, he, he died in 2012, which was heartbreaking. But in 2017, I went to the States and I met my cousins for the very first time. Spontaneously, my cousin didn't tell any of the family that I was coming over. So I was going over to Washington, DC. I stayed with my cousin and her son and we were celebrating Thanksgiving together. Spontaneously, 35 members of the family decided to rock up for for Thanksgiving, spontaneously. They didn't know who I was. They thought I was somebody from the office, from the White House or something, because my cousin works at the White House. So they had no clue who I was, right? And then they made the announcement. And it was like, I had to sit there and sit back and just like, Okay, okay, this is a lot to take in, but it was just amazing, but it was a lot to take in from being by yourself, never seeing anybody that looked like you, and then finding all these people, although different, a little darker toned skin, they look like me. And the wonderful thing was, I only expected to find, if I was lucky, one picture of my father, and I have many now. And I also discovered all the things that I was gifted at as a child, like I was gifted at classical piano, My father was evidently gifted at classical piano, self-taught, but an African-American, that's unheard of. He was also a gifted scholar, a gifted artist, very respected in his regiment. He was in the ASAF, so he was in the US Air Force. He was very respected in the communities. He was, um, oh, like a Freemason, but very, very high up. You know, he looked like he was the mayor. You know, he's got this huge collar on that he'd got on. And I, t- I discovered that my family ancestrally used to smuggle slaves across the border in their motor car. They were one of the first families. They were so affluent. They were one of the first families to have a motor car in Youngstown, Ohio, and they'd smuggle people across the border to, the, to Canada. They were master mason. One part of the family were master masoners and builders, and the other half were professors, doctors, and there was the very first man of color to sit at the bar, evidently. And they showed me things from a museum had contacted them because they celebrated a hundred years of the, the Berry family. So I'm related to Haley Berry and quite a few other famous people in the state. But I, I haven't got my head around all that yet. <laughs> that's a that's a work in progress. That's another that's another story. <laughs> that's another story. 
but it was fascinating and um, I love my cousins to dear you know dearly and then from there I had the courage to try and find my siblings and I found my brother and my sister so they're same mum but different fathers wow yeah that must have been massive to finally find the, the family that you truly belong to absolutely so this covid situation is horrific i'm by myself again whereas before i would be visiting my brother at least twice a month and staying over and everything so now i'm isolated again so it's gone from having amazing interactions with family and feeling connected and lots of laughter and mischief to nothing again you know yeah it's a bit of a slap in the chops so looking forward to next year let's put it this way or are you you met your real family. Were you adopted or? Yeah. yeah, I was adopted at four and a half. Wow, that must have been quite emotional to, you know, from the age of four to now to to actually realize there was family out there who, who knew you in some way. Yes, I was always told that my father was dead. Um, you know, it, it, because of my age, there was totally different processes in those days and you didn't have the rights that you have now. I mean, I, I'm, I'm very, very glad to say this. It's totally different now. There's a lot more respect and realization that they need to do as much as they can to have the origins of the person that's being, especially if it's an interracial one, because I lost all my identity because I was put into a, an English family. So uh, when I was younger, I was much darker and very tight curly hair. So I didn't look at anything like them. I used to get bullied at school, but I did go to a very good girl's school, but I was bullied like mad at school and called every name under the sun, you know. But I was highly academic, so I got through it. But, it, you know, you, you don't... I think there's a lot more support mechanisms now for children, thankfully. They're, but in the 50s, early 50s, you could be given away by a nun, a doctor, a family member, you know. So it, there was a quite a few, as they say, irregularities, this is the word, I think. Yeah. So, and there was hardly any paperwork. So that made, that's why it took me a long time. So I had to eventually... I did DNA. I would probably assume when you hear this for the first time that you wish, why wasn't I with them all this time? And all these interesting questions are bouncing in your cranium to figure out why did this happen? Yes, but what was really interesting, this is very strange, but in my, so my real father, my biological father was a gifted classical pianist. My adoptive father was a gifted classical pianist and organist. My biological father was a gifted artist. My adoptive father was a gifted artist. My biological father was a gifted scholar. My adoptive father was a gifted scholar, you know. So there were lots of parallels. Um, it's really weird, you know, you don't, and that's all in, you know, I didn't choose to be, well, I didn't really choose to be adopted, but then when it did come about, even though it was quite controversial, some of the things that happened, it's interesting because I, I chose the best possible option to, to have the similar-ish type of interactions, if you like, you know, so, yeah. And I say you're a, a classical pianist and an artist and a scholar now, right? No, 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 no. <laughs> I, I stopped. I, I re rebelled when I was at about 10 years old, I think, 12 years old with the piano. But I would love to take it up again. I, I had a mishap with my adoptive father and I, I refused to play after that. But there's lots of things I'd like to do in the future. Yeah, definitely, definitely. That's something for my retirement, I think. I think you'll keep going to your 120s, Sharon, and be no retirement, you know? Let's go, let's go for it. No, I love life. I really do. I love people. I love life. And it's great to be, even have a good conversation, talk about kindness, compassion, you know, some of just human decency, you know. So it was great relief when I, I saw the results in the States because 
I feel my cousins are safe now. You know, it's a roller coaster. It was getting very, very nasty out there for anybody of colour. It wasn't safe. So I'm hoping things eventually will calm down and, and there will be a more engaging and inclusive society eventually. There's, gonna lo there's a lot to heal. There's a lot of damage being done, so there's a lot to heal. But at least it, it, the poison's come out to be seen. You know, before it was probably all hidden underneath. So it's all good. I think with COVID, it's really brought out the people who we are, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Spot on. Yeah, definitely. And I say your thumbs are like steel, being able to go through people's feet and figure out who they are and what they are in space of a couple of seconds. Um, it's weird. You know, when you study oriental diagnosis, you know, for shiatsu, even the way somebody walks, the way they talk, the way the clothes drape on them, their facial expressions, the, the marks on their face, or nails or whatever, you learn a lot from somebody. And also, by the words people use, you can usually generally understand what their needs are, so that you can communicate in a way that's gonna be a positive interaction. So there's less com confrontation, I find. But then I, I also don't hold fools lightly. And I, I think I've earned the right at nearly 66 to say, actually, no, <laughs> sorry, no. You know, and some people think, oh, you're a bit blunt. And I think, well, why should I lie about something? Why should I say, oh, I'll do it when it's absolute rubbish, you know? But I think, you know, uh, somebody said I was a snob. I said, no, I'm just, I'm just selective. I'm not a snob. I'll get down and crawl on the floor and do whatever's needed roll up my sleeves, you know, no calm, calm in that. But, you know, I can't I can't bear time wasters or people that are pompous and, yeah, just stepping on other people to get where they want to get. Uh, I love supporting people to achieve their goals, their dreams. I love seeing students when they really get the wow moment and they've got, they've actually finally got something, you know, and I love supporting friends or colleagues if they've had a breakthrough and they've suddenly been recognized as something important i think it's wonderful i think we've all got our role to play here and it you know it's absolutely fine i i think i'm a little bit scared now since you're analyzing me and and doing all this no, like, dash and you know but no, I, I'm not. no i'm not no i'm not no it's lovely to talk to you because you you're such an interesting person and i love the conversations uh, with joanne I'm going to try and get on there this Thursday. I can't. I think it's this Thursday. Can't remember. I've got an adult adoptee meeting, so I'm hoping it's not going to clash. But I, I just, yeah. And and uh, Donald, I love. He's a most amazing, fascinating man. Lots of wisdom. Yeah. Um. I'd say Sharon, being you know 60, 60 years on this planet, you've got some amazing wisdom and tips. If someone came to you and asked you for advice, what would it be? Well, first of all, breathe, because we don't. We don't breathe enough, and that can really heal and stop you getting sick. And I had a, some wonderful advice from a, an intuitive coach many, many years ago, and I always say this to my students. When you see somebody having a real moment, like really being aggressive to you like that, and she said, well, it could, it's actually, but it's not for you, but you should always remember this. She said, just say in your head, instead of going, oh, what a, mm, you know, I don't like that person. Just go, don't worry. It's a divine being in a state of hell. So, you know, I just thought, oh, that is so good. I must remember that. So every time I see somebody having a freak out, so I'm like really going for it. I just go, oh, oh, bless. Count to 10, you go, divine being in a state of hell. 
So you're not like slandering and bringing more negativity into your own life. You just go, okay, that's not me, that's you. <laughs> you know, so yeah, and it, it, just to have some good humor, have some good humor. That can go a long way, even if you're in the most dire situation. Humor is the best medicine that we all need, even in these times of right now. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I love your backdrop, by the way, with the grass blades. It looks really good. It, it was the beach uh, two weeks ago, and I got sick of looking at the beach for six months. And uh, I need <laughs> the winter time, so I can't be looking at the beach, like sand and sun in the middle of winter. So I need a more wintry uh, background, and that kind of fitted perfect. Now, if anyone wanted to figure out how they could improve their health or figure out how can they do, you know, something that can improve them in this time being right now, what would it be? Oh, easy. If they go to my website, which is Sharon Bannister, so it's S-H-A-R-O-N and then Bannister, B-A-N-N-I-S-T-E-R dot U-K, if they go to my blog section, there's um, a seven-page downloadable PDF on um, tranquility and peace in this time or something. It's it's how to deal with COVID and, you know, all tips on how to manage stress levels with COVID and lockdown. And as we, many of us are going into the second, third time of lockdown, and there's links to heart math, there's links to breast bubble, there's links to, there's actual helpful things they can actually download from there. And obviously, if they want to chat, they can have a free 15-minute consultation, quick chat. There are many fantastic cranio practitioners in Ireland. I'll always try and find somebody for them. And there's also some very good heart math people in Ireland. Seamus is one of them. Charlotte Mary Ray is another. You know, there are many, many good practitioners in Ireland. And it will really help them. The main thing is to get your stress level down so you feel like you're functioning. If there's stress in your environment, Focus on yourself first. As they say, put the you know put the oxygen mask on yourself first before you help your child or partner. If you can focus on your stress levels, it will have an immediate effect on theirs. Sharon, it sounds like the divine had a plan for you to do what you want to do. But I wonder if you got to chat with God and the divine, what would you what would that conversation be like? Um, thank you, thank you. Sharon, it's ha- it's been a pleasure having you on the show and thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. It's, I really enjoyed it. Thanks a lot, Aaron. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
it. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.